Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash alam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, As-Siratu Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, uh, of course, after having concluded uh, the study of the Battle of Badr, towards the end of the second year of Hijrah, um, we talked about the arrival of the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab bintu Rasulullahi ﷺ, her arrival to Medina. <clears throat> when the son-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ had been captured at Badr and the Prophet ﷺ negotiated uh, Zainab anha's release uh, to the city of Medina to be with the Prophet ﷺ in the Muslim community. We of course also talked about how the journey itself was very tragic in which Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha was severely wounded um, and there was nearly a major conflict because of it but all of that was avoided. Alhamdulillah and Zainab radiallahu anha was able to join her father the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the rest of the Muslim community in the city of Medina. What we'll be talking about here today is some of the other events that conclude the second year of Hijrah before we start the third year of Hijrah. What remains from the second year of Hijrah are two other campaigns. Uh, one is called the Ghazwa of Banu Salim, Ghazwa to Bani Salim, um, and the, or excuse me, Ghazwa to Bani Sulaim, and the other one is called Ghazwa to Sawiq which I'll be explaining in just a minute. The third event, there are basically only three events left to talk about from the second year of Hijrah, after which we'll proceed into the third year of Hijrah, inshaAllah. The third event, which we'll talk about in the next uh, session, inshaAllah, is the marriage of the daughter of the, the youngest daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, to Ali bin Abi Talib. 
So it was at the end of the second year of Hijrah, at the very end of the year, Dhul Hijjah, um, in the opinion of some of the scholars of Tafsir, in which the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Fatima, radiallahu anha, was married to Ali bin Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu. But this week, inshallah, in today's session, we'll be focusing on the last two campaigns of the second year of Hijrah, Ghazwatu Bani Sulaim and Ghazwatu Sawiq. So the first one, Ghazwatu Bani Sulaim, is that when the Prophet ﷺ completed the Battle of Badr. So we talked about the Battle of Badr lasted for a day, that was the 17th of the month of Ramadan. <clears throat> the Prophet ﷺ remained at the place of Badr for another three or four days, after which the Prophet ﷺ, he returned back to the city of Medina and spent the next week or so concluding the affairs of Badr. <clears throat> Excuse me. After a few weeks um, of the Battle of Badr and after the Prophet ﷺ had concluded some of the immediate aftermath of the Battle of Badr, in the month of Shawwal, the month after Ramadan, the month of Shawwal, the Prophet ﷺ went with a group of Sahaba anhum. The number is not explicitly mentioned, but they basically went in the direction of Banu Sulaim. Now, why did they head in the direction of Banu Sulaim? The Prophet ﷺ had received the information that Banu Sulaim possibly was also considering, you know, some opportunities to maybe attack the Muslims and to attack Medina at that time. So the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, he went um, near the place of Banu Sulaim where he reached um, a river or a stream um, that they used to refer to as Al-Qudr. Qudr in the Arabic language itself means kind of like a brownish type color. So it was a stream that was very brown colored probably because of dirt or whatever in the stream. And it was near the place of Banu Sulaim. The Prophet ﷺ went there. Some narrations say that he stayed there for three days. Some narrations say that he stayed there for about a week. In either case, the Prophet ﷺ stayed there for a few days, anywhere like four, five, six days. He stayed there at that stream along with the group of Sahaba that he had taken. And after that, staying there with Without engaging in any type of fighting or conflict, the Prophet ﷺ basically returned back from there to the city of Medina and then spent the remainder of the month of Shawwal and also into the month of Dhul Qa'da in uh, the city of Medina and did not travel. Um, so the Ghazwa Banu Sulaim itself was a campaign. There was not any fighting that ensued because of it. But nevertheless, the Prophet ﷺ went. And this is something that we saw in the first year and in the early part of the second year of the Hijrah as well, that the Prophet ﷺ also sometimes would take a group of Sahaba and go and camp out at a place outside of Medina to just at least send the message that we are willing to defend our homes and we will not take you know, being attacked or being intimidated lightly. And so it was a strategy on the part of the Messenger of Allah the next campaign that we'll be talking about, and this was at the end, all the way at the end of the second year, in the month of Dhul Hijjah, this is referred to as Ghazwatu Sawiq. Also, some of the scholars of Sirah refer to it as Ghazwatu Qarqaratil Qudr. Now, I'll explain the two names in just a minute when we talk about it. What happened at this particular time? There's a little bit of a backstory that is very fascinating that we need to talk about here. First and foremost was that Abu Sufyan, when he returned back to Mecca, 
Abu Sufyan had taken an oath at that time. So the narrations mentioned that he said, نَذَرَ أَلَّا يَمَسَّ رَأْسَهُ مَاءٌ مِنْ جَنَابَةٍ حَتَّى يَغْزُوَ مُحَمَّدًا that Abu Sufyan took an oath saying that he swore that he would not take a bath of purification, like he would not take a shower, he would not take a bath, um, until he had launched an attack against Muhammad wasallam. That basically to avenge the losses at Badr and to avenge the death of the leaders of Quraysh at Badr, I will launch some type of an attack against Muhammad wasallam. And until I do so, I swear off even taking a bath. I swear off washing my head. So he had taken this type of an oath, and this was their habit in the times of Jahiliyyah. So he had taken this oath. So what he did was that in the month of Dhul Hijjah, he took 200 riders, all right, 200 men with horses, and he set out, he went along the longer route on the way from Mecca to Medina, until he arrived at a, a place, a mountain by the name of Thaybun, which was not too far out from Medina. Um, the scholars mentioned that it was basically uh, a half a day's journey outside of Medina. So he arrived at this particular place and he waited till nighttime. When nighttime settled in, at that time, he went into Medina to Banu Nadir. Banu Nadir were one of the Jewish tribes who resided in Medina. Now the reason why this is very important to remember, and this is extremely relevant, is Banu Nadir were one of the Jewish tribes of Medina, along with Banu Qaynuqa' and Banu Quraidha. Now Banu Nadir, Banu Qaynuqa' and Banu Quraidha, they had all entered into a pact and an agreement along with the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslim community in Medina. And they had in fact drafted what you could almost consider the constitution of Medina, and it was jointly drafted between the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ, and the Jewish leaders. So they had agreed to this. And part of it was is that we are allies of one another, we will not attack each other, we will not aid anyone who attempts to attack the other. And not only that, but we will defend one another against any outside attack. So if somebody attacks one of us, the other one will come to the aid of the one being attacked. So they had agreed to all of these terms. Abu Sufyan waits until nighttime. He goes to Banu Nadir. He comes to the home of Huyay bin Akhtab. Huyay bin Akhtab was one of the leaders of Banu Nadir. He knocked on his door, فَضَرَبَ عَلَيْهِ بَابَهُ فَأَبَا أَنْ يَفْتَحَ لَهُ وَخَافَهُ Huyay bin Akhtab refused to open the door for Abu Sufyan because he said, this looks like trouble. Look, you obviously are here, not for a good reason. This looks like nothing but trouble. I'm not looking for any trouble. So he refused to open the door. So Abu Sufyan then goes to another leader of Banu Nadir by the name of Salam ibn Mishkam. Salam ibn Mishkam. Salam ibn Mishkam, he was one of the leaders of Banu Nadir as well. And not only was he a leader, his specific role in the tribe of Banu Nadir was Sahibul Kanz. He was the treasurer of the tribe. He was the treasurer of the tribe, the CFO of the tribe. And so Abu Sufyan goes to him and knocks his door and he lets him in. And he hosts him, he feeds him, takes care of him. And then Abu Sufyan tells him why he's here. Look, I'm here to exact some form of revenge against the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. So Salam collaborates with him and fills him in. Look, I can give you all the information that you need. Where who is, where what is, exactly how Medina works, how the Muslims work. 
everything. I can give you all the information. We're allies of theirs. I know them uh, as well as anyone. So he gives all the information that Abu Sufyan would require. Towards the, towards the, before the end of the night, Abu Sufyan goes and his, he has a few men of his who have traveled with him who are waiting for him right outside of Medina. He goes and he gets them and they go to a part of Medina referred to as Uraid. Uraid was a valley on the side of Medina. They go to the valley of Uraid and over there, there are some date palm trees that belong to the Muslims. Alright, so there's, a, there's an orchard, there's some date palm trees that specifically belong to the Muslims, and they are a source of not only sustenance and food in terms of dates, but they are also a source of revenue for the Muslims. So this is kind of like a community investment to help take care of you know, the poor people in the community and to try to make sure that everyone in the community is taken care of. They go there and they uh, light them on fire. They basically burn the orchard. orchard. And... While they're there trying to burn the orchard down, the date palm trees down, there is a man um, from amongst the Ansar who is there, maybe looking after the orchard. And they run into him. And along with him is another, um, wasn't a Muslim, but he was a Halif. So he was an ally of one of the Ansari tribes. So this Muslim Ansari man and a friend of his are there in the orchard. They run into them, so they murder both of them. They kill both of them. They kill this Muslim man and his friend. And then they basically leave from there and they ride straight back to Mecca. Alright, so they burn the orchard down, they kill two people and they head back to Mecca. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, when he finds out about this, obviously it's a major crisis, there's a huge fire, there's two dead bodies, right? It's a huge crisis in Medina. So when the Prophet ﷺ finds out about this, he immediately gathers together a group of the Sahaba. He puts Abu Lubaba in charge of Medina while he's gone, and the Prophet ﷺ rides out um, in pursuit of Abu Sufyan and the people, the 200 men that had come to attack from Mecca. They reach a place called Qarqaratul Qudr. Qarqaratul Qudr. Qarqaratul Qudr, the meaning of it, this was just the name of a place, but the meaning of it is also uh, mentioned that Qarqaratul Qudr was a specific place on the side of uh, Mi'dan, which was a little ways away from Medina. About um, some of the scholars mentioned that maybe about uh, a couple of days of journey outside of Medina. So they basically they they reach there, and once they reach there, they find something that Abu Sufyan and his uh, group of two hundred riders they've already gone ahead. They've gotten out of hand, right? So they've they've been able to get away. But when they reach that particular place, they find a bunch of supplies. They find a bunch of supplies. So basically what happened was, they lit the orchard on fire, they killed a couple of men, you know, who showed up all of a sudden. Now realizing that this could be a very severe situation, this could go very, very bad for us, they needed to ride back to Mecca as quickly as they could. In order to do so, all the supplies and the goods and the food that, the, that they were carrying, they decided to dump all of it so that they could ride faster. When the Muslims reach there, they find all of their supplies and their goods. And the Prophet ﷺ tells them that you can claim this, right? That we can basically pick all of this up. One of the things that they find there in very, very large quantity is what's called sawiq by the Arabs. Sawiq is basically where they take um, wheat or barley and they would kind of grind it down. 
and turn it into like a powder. Um, and the, what they would do with that powder was that they would carry that powder when they, with them when they traveled. All right, almost try to think of it as kind of like, you know, uh, somebody today would have like some protein powder or something like that. So this was a good source of nourishment. It was very low maintenance. Um, it was very easy to carry and it was very easy to prepare. And what they would do is if they could find some milk, they would mix that powder up in some milk. Even if they couldn't find any milk, they would mix it up in water and then basically just drink it. Um, and so this was an easy form of nourishment. So there were entire bags full of this sawiq. And it was considered a very good form of food and nourishment, right? It's very healthy, it's very filling, and it was made out of wheat and barley. So they find these bags full of sawiq. And they ask the Prophet of Allah wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, anatma'u an takuna hadihi lana ghazwa? Qala na'am. The pro- they said, is it okay if we just go back with this, like this suffices? I mean, the question of the Sahaba was that we went out jihad fi sabilillah. We went out jihad fi sabilillah. We went to go strive in the path of Allah. And we were willing to sacrifice for the sake of Allah to defend the Muslim community and the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But for us to just come here to find bags of food and just go back with that, that suffices as like uh, an expedition, a campaign, as jihad fi sabilillah. And the Prophet ﷺ says, yes, absolutely. It's from the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So because they came back to Medina with these huge bags full of sawiq, it became known as ghazwatu sawiq. The battle of sawiq. Um, And so this was the other campaign that occurred here towards the end of the second year of hijrah. And this happened in the month of Dhul-Hijjah, and as I mentioned before, that the only other remaining event that happened or transpired here towards the end of the second year of Hijrah was the marriage of the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha. One of the things I mentioned previously was when they came back from the Battle of Badr, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, had passed away. And Uthman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the, you know, the husband, uh, the son-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ, Ruqayya's husband. And the Prophet ﷺ had told him to stay back and look after Ruqayya. <clears throat> and that's why the Prophet ﷺ had allocated for him a portion of the spoils of war. And the Prophet ﷺ then married um, his other daughter, Umm Kulthum, to... Uh, Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and that's why Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was referred to as Dhunurain, the one of two lights, because he had married two of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ specifically mentions that there has never been another man in the history of humanity who has married two daughters of a Prophet. Uthman is the first and the last man to ever marry two daughters of a Prophet. Because he was married to Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, and after she passed away, then he married the next daughter of the Prophet sallallahu So that was the virtue of Uthman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we'll be talking about this later as well. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when the uh, later on, kind of fast forwarding, after of course, much after the passing of the Prophet sallallahu when the khawarij, when the rebels would arrive in Medina, 
and basically rebel against the community and they made all types of accusations of corruption against Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That's why that idea was so preposterous and so ridiculous. That this is a man of such caliber and such quality and such character that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa would not only marry his daughter to him, but the Prophet sallallahu after the passing of his daughter would marry another daughter, his other daughter to this man. That this is what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu thought of him. And so for anyone to accuse him of such corruption, and to murder him, to assassinate him and kill him, tells you a little bit about the type of people they were. It tells you, it, has, it puts no blemish on Uthman bin Affan, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who Muhammad Rasulullah would marry not one but two of his daughters to. But it tells you a lot about these people who would dare kill such a man, and accuse such a man, and attack such, a, such, an, 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 a, such an unbelievable, remarkable human being. Um, so that was something else that happened here in the second year. And then of course the last event of the second year of Hijrah, is the marriage of the youngest of the daughters of the Prophet who was very, very beloved to the Prophet ﷺ, to none other than Ali bin Abi Talib. And inshallah, I'm going to talk about this in the next session because I, there's some detail here that I'd like to mention about not only their marriage, but exactly what, what, how exactly they got married, um, and also some of the important lessons about just overall marriage and how the Prophet ﷺ handled it. Of course, we learn a lot from the marriages of the Prophet ﷺ, but this is an opportunity for us to learn about how the Prophet ﷺ handled the marriage and how he instructed two young people to be married. And not just two ordinary young people, but two of the most remarkable people. So there's a lot of lessons here. And then I also want to talk about, you know, kind of what the dynamic of their relationship was. Because the, 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 the family of Ali bin Abi Talib and Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha um, is one of the most remarkable families that, will, that you'll ever learn about. The way their relationship was one another... The love, the affection, the admiration, the respect, the affection that they had for one another. Not only that, but then the children that came of that marriage, none other than Hassan and Hussein, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, how they raised their children. So I want to take that opportunity to kind of really talk about and learn from and do really an analysis, a thorough analysis of that remarkable, beautiful family, how they came together, how they built a family and built a home, and all the khair that came out from that home. So I want us to be able to talk about that in proper detail. So we'll talk about it at that time, inshallah. One of the last things I'll mention here is, a lot of times Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, you know, this, it's kind of a curiosity. We know a lot more about her than the other daughters of the Prophet sallallahu One of the reasons for that is that she was the youngest of the daughters of the Prophet sallallahu And she was very, very young. Um, you know, she was born uh, during the actual, she was, she was very young throughout the early mission of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And at the time of the passing of her mother, at the time of the passing of her mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, she was still very young. And so the Prophet ﷺ had a very special relationship with her because the Prophet ﷺ raised her as a single father. Right? When, when her mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away, we'll be talking about her age, but she was very, very young. She was still a young girl. And so because of that, the Prophet ﷺ raised her. And they had a very special bond and a very special relationship because of that. Inshallah, that's some, that's some of what we'll be able to appreciate. So we'll talk about that in the next session. So we'll be keeping today's session short, inshallah. Again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasakhfirku wa natubu ilayk.